Welcome to another Go Ask Al episode of CooperCast. This is your host, Al's Hexagon, John Sachs. We answer questions including about blending the sound of horns when recording. After each question, Nilly the dog adds a brief canine perspective. Okay, this is, I think this is an interesting question here. This is from Joe. And he says, Al, I hope you're well. I believe in your book you mentioned that when recording in England, you had to work with horn players to teach them how to blend better. Can you briefly describe what you told them to get the result that you wanted? It's it's too complicated to uh, waste in this format. But there is such a thing as getting a horn section to blend. Yes, and, and you get a lot of help from the engineer, too. Okay. Okay. Uh, if you know what a good blend is, yeah, then you just instruct the engineer to make this louder or that softer. Okay. And then you get a blend. But the blend, isn't the blend also the notes that they're playing? Those are written out. Those are on the chart? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's really about volume. There's rarely a blend yeah. that's not uh, presupposed or written out. Yeah. People don't uh, improvise mm-hmm. blends. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. So it's something that's where there's four parts, let's say, and each person has to know how loud to play to to make the blend or how soft to play Mm. to make it a good blend. Now, they all have separate mics, don't they? Yes. So the engineer, or even in post, you you could bring them to the level that you want. Yes, if if there are if, if, well, sometimes if you record a bigger band, then you have two mics on uh, four saxes. So, for example, so the level that they play at is 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 really critical. Also, where the mics are. Yeah. And the yes, and the level. Yeah. So it's about it's mostly about volume. To get the blend, you would say. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Or lack of. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. I think that's a good answer to an interesting question. And uh, Joe says, by the way, I hate to bring this up, but Joe says, any progress on the box set? Not at this moment. Okay. (sighs) This is a very bizarre question. Uh, This guy... T. Layard says, there's this fairy tale according to which you never played an organ before entering the studio to record Super Session. That's a lie. He says, do you know where this is coming from and why? And the answer would be... Stupidity, and I don't know from where. It's absurd. Like, why why would somebody say that when you you were known to have played with Dylan well before that? Yes. It's like, I don't know. We can't answer your question. It makes no sense that somebody would ever say that. Also, when when I was writing songs, um, 
uh, I wrote with two other guys. Yeah. And they were not. They were lyricists. Yeah. And I was the musician. Right. Of the three of us. So when we would finish a song, we'd go in the studio. Come in. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and and um, and and I would uh, take charge. Yeah. And I would I would hire the musicians that I thought we should hire f to make the demo, mm. and I would uh, run the sessions. Yeah, and I would play uh, the organ if necessary mm -hmm. because there was one there. Yeah, there wasn't one where we wrote the songs. Was it a B three? Yeah. Okay. Hey, but let me let me let me let me pick you up on that because one of the things that you said about the infamous Dylan session was that if Paul Griffin had turned off the B3 you couldn't have just turned it on because it's complex to turn on a B3 yes it is very but in those uh, studio sessions when you recorded demos on a B3 did you go through that process of turning it on or did somebody else do that probably the engineer would turn it on for me oh okay so it really is the thing Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Nobody, <laughs> nobody could figure out how to do that. It's very complicated. That's so weird. Well, so is the Hammond organ. Yeah. Hammond organ is nuts. <laughs> but a magnificent instrument. Yeah. One of the weird stories is that you said when you went to visit... Um, Somebody in Nashville, was it John Prine, had one in his living room? Was it John Prine? I think so. He just had one in his living room, which yeah. is like... I've never had one in my living room. Right. I've never had one in my house. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, so big, and and then you have to have that speaker with it, which is also so big. Yeah. And uh, there's just so many complications with it it's a very complicated instrument mm. yeah we've talked periodically about the fact that uh i mean i've had studios in my house yeah and never a hammond organ so when you you did a you did a few dates with dylan electric like uh in uh forest hills in l.a no, i played a tour with him yeah did they schlep a ham organ on stage for you? They rented one. They rented one. Yeah. Wow. No, I mean, like, every place we'd play, they'd have a Hammond organ there. Right, because it was critical. Yeah. No, because it was in the rider. Yeah, I understand, but, I mean, <laughs> it was part of the big part of Dylan's sound at that time. By the way, going in a completely different direction, Elijah Wald, who wrote this book, Dylan Goes Electric, says that when you guys played Rolling Stone at Newport, that the bass player wasn't, he was a blues guy, and he wasn't getting the bass part for Rolling Stone. I don't know who the bass player was uh, off the top of my head, so I can't comment. He claims that you played at Newport, you played the bass. No. And that Barry Goldberg played your organ part. No, oh, no way. He no did. way would Barry Goldberg play my organ part, and no way what makes me capable of playing the bass. I don't know. Somehow this information came into Elijah well, Wald's head. 
F A L S E five exclamation points. All right. Well, there's a movie. It was filmed by that guy Lerner. So the answer is I'm is not out there. I'm not. No, it isn't. I'm not in that movie. You're not. I've seen it a hundred times. It's just a close-up of well, Dylan. You don't see anyone else in the band. Really? For all seven minutes of how long that song is. Son of a it's bitch. It's all on him. You don't see the audience. Yeah. I've, t- I've watched it, you know, hundreds of times. Okay. By the way, folks, if you've never seen the Lerner uh, documentary about Newport 65... Go find it. It's it's pretty amazing. The sound ain't so good. Yeah, right, right. Well, those were, God. I mean, those were, compared to today's technology, it's amazing. They oh, could, come on. What about Count Basie and Ellington? They made records before that. Oh, no, but I'm talking about the filmmaking thing, that, that, that he, he oh, had right. probably one single channel, Nagra or something, that he was using to record. I don't know. <laughs> this guy, Tori or Tor, wants to know, did you ever know Jerry Miller from Moby Grape? Well, I played on some Moby Grape sessions, uh, but I didn't really know him. He says the grape was the opening act at the Monterey Pop Festival in 67. Uh, Jerry currently plays a great power trio blues set in Tacoma, Washington with his local band. So Jerry Miller from... Moby Grape is still out there playing rock. Why not? Yeah, why not? He was Rolling Stone's 68th all-time best guitar player in 2003, and Clapton called him the greatest guitar player in the world when he first came to America. So, and then he asks you, (laughs) you're going to appreciate this. He says, I would appreciate it. If you could call Eric Clapton and suggest to him that it might be a good idea to consider booking the Jerry Miller Band for the Crossroads Blues Festival, perhaps to open the show. I don't have his phone number. You, so you're not going to call Eric Clapton? I don't have his phone number. Jeez. Well, Tor, sorry, Tor, uh, he would call, but he doesn't have his phone number. This has been Coopercast, brought to you by Blended Horns. You can... Always submit questions for Al at alcooper.com on the Coopercast page. Uh-huh.